coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. I recently came across an article in the American Diabetes Association which said that 26 million people in America have diabetes. But what really shocked me was that 80 million Americans have what is known as pre-diabetes. So that means one in every four of us is at borderline risk of getting this disease. And this is no simple disease because the consequences can be blindness, kidney failure, and even amputation of the limbs. And the odd thing in all of this is that the physician's biggest challenge and complaint of their patients is actually getting them to engage in their own well-being. And now our children are at a bigger risk than we are. Knowledge of this disease is critically important to all of us. It seems like it's not a case of, it won't happen to me, but more of a case of, how can I prevent it? happening to me. To help us understand this further, my guest is Dr. Richard Martin, a board-certified family physician, and he's presently with the Geisinger Health System. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Vip. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, sir. Um, 80 million of us have prediabetes. What's, what's going on? So there's really an epidemic of diabetes and prediabetes in our country, and there are a lot of factors that, that relate to that, uh, including lifestyle, genetics, activity, diet, and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, unfortunately, uh, many people are, are really not aware of the risks, and even folks who have diabetes aren't aware of the devastating complications, and, and many people uh, just think it won't happen to them. Um, but, you know, I've been practicing family medicine for 30 years, and I've seen a lot of diabetics come and go, and it saddens me each time one of my patients ends up with vision problems or I, I start to see their renal function decline, and I see that uh, kidney failure is on the horizon for them. So any way that we can get folks to engage in their own care and take part in their own care makes it better for them. It's much more about what people can do for themselves uh, than what their physicians can do for them in the case of diabetes. And you say you're sad. You're sad because... They could have prevented it? Absolutely. These are good, hardworking people, mm. and, you know, they're, they're living normal, productive lives, and all of a sudden, you know, something changes. Uh, we begin to see the signs of some circulatory problems, circulation trouble in the legs or feet. Uh, you know, the, the, the kidney tests begin to become abnormal, and we see the writing on the wall. And, indeed, uh, this can be prevented uh, by, by better engagement and better understanding and knowledge of the disease by our patients. So for those of us who are ignorant of it, and, and obviously with the numbers now, I'm interested, um, what is diabetes? Yep, so a very good question. So let me discuss the normal situation briefly, what, yep. what should happen, and then I can explain what diabetes, uh, and actually diabetes is a group of conditions. So normally when we eat a meal, um, our, our body, and particularly our pancreas, senses that there's food in the stomach and small intestine, and it secretes some chemicals and substances that help with the digestion of those foods. One of those substances is insulin, and insulin will attach itself to the sugar molecules um, and carry the sugar molecules through our bloodstream. And insulin basically acts as a key to open the door to our cells so that the sugar molecule can enter the cells of all the organs of our body mm -hmm. and serve as the fuel for those cells to do their job. Um, in diabetes, uh, there becomes a problem with getting the sugar molecule into the cell. So diabetes is classified as type 1 and type 2. Type 1, fortunately, is not as common as type 2, but it is a condition where someone's pancreas just stops producing insulin. 
and that person can become very, very sick because without insulin and without the ability to use sugar as a fuel, the body turns to other substances such as fat and protein to use for fuel. And as a result of that, it gives off acid substances that can cause the person to get a condition called ketoacidosis. That can be very serious and, in fact, can be fatal. Fortunately, that's by far the minority of the cases of diabetes. But those folks do need insulin administration, insulin shots throughout their entire lives. So but the other more common and much more worrisome because of the, the amount of people that suffer from it is type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And type 2 diabetes is a condition where our bodies actually make the right amount, and in many instances even more than the normal amount of insulin, but that there's a problem that the insulin doesn't open the door to the cell to allow the sugar to get into the cell. So therefore, the cells get some but not enough uh, sugar to uh, provide their work and to provide their normal function. And as a consequence, people may start to feel some fatigue and some tiredness. Um, As the sugar accumulates in the bloodstream, however, um, it becomes present in greater and greater amounts and and can cause some other symptoms and eventually damage to our eyes, our blood vessels, our kidneys, and other organs. And that's the real danger in, in America right now because we have such an epidemic in the number of folks who truly have diabetes, but even more so people who are at risk to develop diabetes over the next several years. So insulin acts as a form of breaking down the sugar, is it? The the way that I like to think of insulin is is it it almost acts like a key Mm. that attaches to the sugar and and opens the door in the cell membrane to allow the sugar to get into the cell. And once it does that, then then the insulin releases the sugar into the cell and, and it just goes away. Right. Now, which one's more dangerous, type 1 or type 2? Well, in in the short term, type 1 is dangerous. Uh, This usually occurs in in younger folks and children. Um, And because of the condition that I described with the the acid metabolism, that can be very dangerous uh, and and even fatal. Fortunately, that's a a significant minority of the cases of diabetes. In the long term, and in terms of what we face in, in taking care of diabetics across America, Type 2 diabetes is much worse. People may have this condition for a number of years. They may not realize that they have it, or they may know that they have it but not understand it. But the longer that they have diabetes and these higher-than-normal amounts of sugar molecules floating through their bloodstream, their organs get damaged. And and sometimes the first sign that somebody has diabetes is when they first uh, see a, a problem with their vision, um, or first get some pain in their, in their foot or ankle because the circulation has been impaired. Um, and because of that and, and the need for dialysis and the cause for potential blindness and the cause for amputations, heart attacks, and strokes, type 2 diabetes is, is critically important and, and a very significant health risk in our country. So you're saying they may not realize it. So then, and, you, and you talked about a few symptoms, and I did some research. And are these the people who are pre-diabetic? Well, pre-diabetes is a, is a, is a separate condition, and, and those are people who, who may have um, family members that have had diabetes, so there's a, a genetic tendency toward diabetes. Mm-hmm. 
They may be people who are overweight, because being overweight is a risk factor for diabetes. Right. And they may be people who are, are just are sedentary and, and don't get much exercise. And these people may have a, a slightly elevated blood sugar level or a sporadic elevated blood sugar level. So you, you, you can see with these folks that, that the writing may be on the wall, that they will eventually develop um, full diabetes. Um, but th- that's actually the group of people that can take action and help themselves and help to at least delay, if not prevent, the onset of, of full-blown diabetes. You say delay or prevent. I mean, is it guaranteed that eventually they will become diabetic? It's just a matter of time? Or can you actually prevent it in, in totality? Um, well, in medicine, we never say always and never say never. But, but basically, if somebody is pre-diabetic and they take uh, aggressive lifestyle changes and begin to change the, the, the way that they eat, uh, they may be able to prevent it or at least put it off for an extended period of time. What, what are the symptoms of being a pre-diabetic? How can you tell that you are one? Yeah, so unfortunately, there are a few symptoms of pre-diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be a, occasional excessive thirst or urination particularly after a time of, uh, of excessive carbohydrate or sweet intake. So, you know, it's Super Bowl weekend and you go out and you party all weekend and, and your, your body can't quite handle the, the, the sugar that you in, ingest uh, in a significant party like that. Um, then for a few days you may notice some excessive urination. So what happens there is there are high levels of blood sugar molecules in the bloodstream. They get excreted by the kidneys into the urine, Mm -hmm. and with that, though, comes extra amounts of water to dilute that sugar as we pass it. And so we lose more urine than we would normally, and as we lose that urine, it, it creates a thirst. And unfortunately, in, in, in some people, that, that thirst is also accompanied by a craving for sweets. So people will tend to quench their thirst, thirst with soda or, or, or juices or other sweet beverages, which just propagates the problem. And then what are the other symptoms? Um, so fatigue, uh, uh, fatigability, because we just don't have enough energy uh, into our, in our cells. Um, and, and really, with prediabetes, that, that, that's all the real symptoms that most people are going to... But you also mentioned at. numbness. So numbness is a late complication of diabetes. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's had diabetes for a long time and the sugar molecules have been damaging the cells in the blood vessels or in the nerves in our body, then they may develop numbness. And it usually starts in the feet because mm-hmm. the nerves and blood vessels to the legs are the longest in the body, and those tend to be the smallest as they branch out into the feet. But numbness and circulatory problems and the other complications that I mentioned all are are typically as a result of long-standing diabetes and come on late in the course. I also read um, in an article that they talked about that you you could be going through weight loss. So if you have consistently high blood sugar levels Mm -hmm. and your body is not able to use that sugar in the cells and as you excrete it uh, in, in your urine, you know, the, the, the sugar molecules contain calories uh, that, that we, we use for that energy and that we store in our body. And so if we're not able to use those uh, sugar molecules or not able to store them in our fat cells, then we can tend to lose weight. But, but again, weight loss is usually more of a sign of the onset of true diabetes rather than prediabetes. Wow. Now, I mean, who, who is most at risk? Obviously, you talked about the genetic factor. Um, but in terms of an age group, who are more susceptible? 
Yep. So the signs and symptoms of diabetes typically come on during middle age, and we begin to watch carefully in, in the mid, mid-40s mid uh, and through the 50s or so. Mm. Um, that typically is when the symptoms start. You know, pre-diabetes can start maybe a little bit earlier, particularly in somebody who is excessively overweight or excessively inactive. But we watch, uh, you know, middle-aged folks generally should have a blood sugar tested at the time of their annual physical, or if people don't have access to an annual physical, there are health fairs in many communities periodically that offer blood sugar testing. Or or even if if folks know someone who's a diabetic and has a blood sugar meter, uh, you know, they can pick their finger and check their sugar themselves, uh, at least to know whether it's normal or not. And if they do that, do they should they be sort of uh, not having any food beforehand? The best way to do that is generally with a random blood sugar test. So okay. just do it in the middle of the day after you've eaten normally and sort of a, a measure to see how your body handles the sugar. Oh, so you don't Normally want to after a, a large meal, the blood sugar will rise for an hour to an hour and a half and mm. then come back down to normal levels. If the blood sugar stays up for several hours after we've eaten a large meal, then, then we know there's a beginning of a problem. So you should be testing a few hours after you've eaten. That would be ideal. Now, um, in all of this, is there any good news in the way of preventing the risk of diabetes? Because this seems like a silent killer. uh, It is, and and that's a concern. Um, And, you know, as much as we try in this country to get the word out about diabetes and what it means, unfortunately, the general public doesn't doesn't seem to to understand. No, I didn't understand until I read this. And what caught me was the fact that it was 80 million people uh, who are pre-diabetic. Way too many. And, and way the way our lifestyles are, it's just a matter of time before they cross over. So uh, the risk factors for those pre-diabetics mm-hmm. are in- inactivity, poor diet, overweight. Um, and so if one is determined to be pre-diabetic, then the best thing they can do for themselves is begin to exercise, get off the couch. Mm. And that doesn't mean that they have to go to the gym and sweat for three hours. That means that they just need to get up and walk for a half an hour or 45 minutes uh, at least three times a week. Amen. Uh, uh, <laughs> they need to lose weight yeah. if they're overweight. And, and uh, you know, the amount of obesity in our country is rising, and, and there's a lot of factors to that inactivity and, and biggie-sizing our fast food meals all the time and just insatiable appetites for the wrong kind of foods. But people can modify their their diet. That doesn't mean that they need to eliminate anything or everything. They just need to cut down and modify the portions uh, of the foods that they eat and enjoy. Um, And so if if people can begin to lose weight and get down to an ideal body weight, and the calculation for ideal body weight, you know, is is out there on the Internet. You can Google that sort of thing, and for for your height, you can determine what's an adequate weight for yourself. Um, and work toward that. Now, the problem that I see and have seen through the years with people who determine that they want to lose weight is they don't realize uh, that it may have taken them many years to get to the weight that they're at. And so they go on a diet, and if they don't get down to their their ideal weight or their, their goal weight, mm. you know, in a matter of, uh, you know, 24 minutes, <laughs> then they give up. Right. And they need to realize that you know, weight loss is a long-term proposition, and to lose a pound a week is a reasonable goal. You know, if somebody's 50 pounds overweight, it's going to take them a year to get down to their uh, ideal weight. Uh, and they have to be persistent and persevere at it. But, you know, Doc, I mean, the problem is in today's world, we're surrounded by salt and sugar in any and everything we consume. 
you're absolutely right. You know, you go, you go uh, have a burger, there's obviously sugar in the bread. Right. Um, and then you try and see what you can have. You suddenly come to a very shocking realization that what's safe to eat yep. is very, very limiting. So we need many more restaurants nowadays will provide healthier menu selections and will annotate their healthier selections. Mm -hmm. So we need to select those kind of restaurants. If we can't find that, what I tell my patients is when you're eating out, even when you're dining at home, Mm. don't eat anything white. Anything white has starch or sugar in it. So there's sweets, which are overtly made of sugar, which is white. There's rice, there's potatoes, there's bread, uh, and, and all sorts of starches. And if they avoid those things in restaurants and eat a colorful diet with salads and fruits and vegetables and some protein, they, they'll be much healthier than, than filling up uh, on the starches and carbohydrates. So you'd be healthier, but you'd be more depressed because all the fun stuff you can't eat. <laughs> well, and you I'll know, co- I, I think people can learn to do without and, and, and can learn to, uh, to enjoy the healthier foods. But then you're not really saying eliminated, but maybe moderation? Absolutely. Uh, you know, e- even even an overt diabetic, mm. uh, when they meet with a, a dietary counselor, they are, are given um, a diet that that is replete with all the food groups, and that includes starches and carbohydrates, but mm-hmm. in moderate portions. That includes a, a little bit more protein and, and certainly more fresh fruits and vegetables, but in reasonable pro- portions. Um, if we calculate the number of calories that a person needs to get through a day, it's generally around 2,000. That's right, yeah. If most people sit down and actually calculate the number of calories that they consume, particularly if they eat out frequently, mm-hmm. it's more like 3,000 or 3,500. So Americans in general eat many more calories in, in a day's time than, than our body really needs to function. But, you and, know, I mean, we're... We, with that. We're normal people. We live in a great country. Uh, one of our pastimes is fast food. Uh, out of the all the fast foods, what's the, the ironically, what's the healthiest one? Wow. Um, Burgers, pizzas. You know, probably pizza. Uh, of all the typical fast foods, I guess pizza would be a little healthier because it's got some some dairy and some some vegetable in terms of tomato sauce. Um, burgers, but there's a lot of sugar in that sauce, though, right? Well, there can be, yeah. I mean, most fast food restaurants offer salad choices as well and healthier choices nowadays, mm. um, although they're not always the least expensive choices. You know, that, that burger that's less healthy for you is less expensive than the salad that's good for you. Right, right. Now, what role can technology, you know, um, one of my colleagues talked about there's an Apple Health Kit and then there's a Google Health Play in in in. in, in, in in the works or already out there. Um, what role does technology play in the prevention or the care of diabetes? Great question. So, so there's lots of things going on in the technological world for, for not only diabetes but a lot of different uh, health conditions. So there are some apps and some smartphones phones that are being developed uh, that, for example, a uh, smartphone may have an attachment for a blood glucose meter. So you could use your phone to pick your finger, check your blood sugar level, and, and relay that information to your physician in, in real time. Uh, there are many apps and, and, and programs out there that, that just provide information and education mm-hmm. about diseases like diabetes. And, you know, the reputably developed um, programs uh, I think are great and, and, and give people great access and great information. 
my caution is that there is some information on the internet that, that may not be evidence-based and, and, and may be more hearsay than truth about the care of diabetes. So people just need to be a little bit careful about the information that they obtain from the internet. Um, in the world of medicine, we're, we're developing um, a, a process that we call telemedicine. And telemedicine basically would give people the opportunity to be able to meet with, with their physician or another healthcare provider mm-hmm. from their home um, via a, a computer that's uh, video enabled and have a, a, a real time uh, visit uh, with their physician um, that way without having to go to the office and deal with waiting times and people coughing on them that are sitting next to them and that sort of thing. Oh, it's the so there's a lot of interest right now in telemedicine, and there are actually some. some firms that are offering national telemedicine services, although typically right now they're, they're offered more so for acute conditions like colds and sore throats and minor injuries. But, I mean, um, this whole teleconferencing, how do you then, you still have to, to provide a blood test, you still have to prick yourself, and then how would you send the results of that? So um, an example that that we use at Geisinger is that we have the ability for a patient to enter their own data into their medical record. So someone can uh, check their blood sugars, and they can have a series of blood sugar reports. They can actually log on to the portal that gives them access to their medical record. They could enter those results. They can do the same thing for their blood pressure that they can check at home. And then that information is then directed to their physician who can see that information and then respond um, through the electronic health, health record uh, as far as any uh, treatment changes or any, any further advice that the uh, physician may or may not have. So I can just buy a device that checks my blood sugar from any store? Um, typically any drug store or um, a chain store. And then just send the results over and and then have the uh, teleconferencing call. Uh, That's the potential, yes. Wow. Okay. Um, But in all of this, you know, I mean, Google's coming out with a car that you can drive itself. Uh, Man can go to the moon. Um, Why can't we cure this disease? Well... So that's another great question, and uh, in, in the current world of medicine, there is a lot of attention and research to our genes and, and genomics, mm-hmm. and the, the predisposition to diabetes tends to be genetic, and personally, I think that we may find that there are several types of type 2 diabetes. Um, for example, through the years, I've seen people that have had very high blood sugar readings. They've not taken as good care of themselves as I would like them to, but yet for some reason they they don't get the complications that that we worry about. Hmm. And there are other people who control their blood sugars very well, and, and yet very early on in the course of their disease, they may end up with some circulation problems or some vision problems. And and I think that the predisposition to those complications, someday we're going to be able to, to show is genetically determined. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to the point with genetic research, and and that's on the horizon because there's a lot of genetic research going on in our country right now, uh, that if we can identify these different gene types, then hopefully we'll be able to to develop um, different treatments or medications that will correct these problems. Not there right now, but I think it's in the foreseeable future. Are you optimistic about ultimately finding a cure for diabetes? Boy, I am. I mean, it, it, it's one of the most devastating diseases that we have in our country. It's one of the most expensive uh, diseases to care for in our country. I, I think we spend about $245 billion with a B dollars caring for diabetics every year. 
um, and that includes their medications, their doctor visits, but also more expensive things like hospitalizations and dialysis and treatment for their blindness and those sort of things. And, and you know, to, to think that, that much of this stuff is really preventable, I mean, th that's really a shame uh, that so many people have to suffer, and it's, an, it's such an expense uh, for our national How much did you say it was? Uh, $245 billion. That, yeah, and, and in 2007, I think that was $175 billion. It's jumped 40% in, in five to six years. Yeah, it's increasing logarithmically, and that, that's because of the epidemic that we're seeing with diabetes. Absolutely. We have the baby boomers now. You know, those of us that are baby boomers are entering the healthcare system and developing our chronic diseases. We have uh, many people who are just living longer than they ever did before. So somebody, you know, when I started practicing medicine 30 years ago, if somebody was on kidney dialysis, you know, they might have a three- or four-year survival time. Right. Nowadays, we have people that are surviving on dialysis 10, 12, 15 years. People are surviving heart attacks and surviving strokes because of the technology that we have to reverse those things. And so more and more people are living longer and have to deal with the diabetes. You talked about genetics. Um, here's a question, uh, a, a scenario, and I'm going to use myself. I'm not diabetic, and luckily, or I'm not sure, but I've given birth to my son. My son is now 14 years old, so there's no history of diabetes in the family. He's 14. He's a healthy kid. Um, now if I start eating badly and I indulge in all the sugar intake, I stop exercising, not that I ever did anyway, um, and I get diabetes, does that mean he is prone to getting diabetes? Uh, it it it, it means that he has a risk. It doesn't mean that he's prone. So getting diabetes is not like uh, blonde hair or blue eyes uh, that it's going to be uh, conferred to your offspring. But the, the tendency to develop diabetes um, can be. So again, other risk factors under consideration. If you raise your son to be active, to exercise, to go outside and, 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 and participate in sports, uh, to maintain an ideal body weight, and to eat reasonably, then his risk of getting diabetes is substantially diminished. But on still the other possible. Hand, he's a kid that's sitting on the couch playing video games all the time and snacking on. Uh, no, he's just a regular normal kid. He has bursts of activity. There will be times yeah. where he sit on the couch. But you see, what I said was that I wasn't in any way, shape, or form diabetic or had a history of diabetes. But after giving birth to him, he's doing well. I start declining in my health. I start getting it, and I've got it. So is, does that mean it's also infectious? That's where I'm going. Oh, well, no, it, no, it's not infectious. Uh, it, it's not contagious, and, and you're not going to confer it to, to somebody in your family or, or nearby in that way. But you said um, that he was susceptible to getting it, well, even though— Well, by, by the gene. Since, since you developed it, then you But I developed gene. it after his birth. I understand. Hmm. But you still had the, the genes. You know, your, your gene pool is conferred at the time of conception, so you had the same genes uh, when, when he was born that you do now. But I didn't have diabetes at that time or in my family. I understand. But, but you had the genes for it, the, the genes that made you susceptible. Okay. Right? So he'll have the same susceptible genes. He, he may. Now, if, 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 if his mother is not diabetic and there's no family history on his mother's side, right. then you would hope that he, he got those genes from his mother's side and not from your side, and that would confer him some, some protection. So really everyone's vulnerable. Everyone can be. That's right. What are the usual myths of diabetes that you hear? Mm. In terms um, of sweets, alcohol consumption, 
we we talked about the types of fast foods and things like that. But yeah. Well, so I mean, in, in terms of alcohol consumption, you know, people are are sometimes afraid to, that they that they can no longer consume alcohol in any way, shape, or form. But again, that that's not true um, in in moderation and in conjunction with an otherwise healthy lifestyle. Um, you know, people can indeed continue to to consume moderate amounts of alcohol. Um, you know, other myths that, that we hear and questions that we're asked, you know, is, is my, my diabetes caused because I eat too much sugar or too many sweets? And, you know, that that's not really straightforward. Um, you know, eating, eating sugar and eating sweets does not cause diabetes. If, if you have the genetic predisposition and if you eat sugar and sweets to the point that you become significantly overweight mm. and, and obese, then that will increase your your risk of getting diabetes. So we we, we don't say that sugar causes diabetes, but it can be a, a contributing factor. Um, the other question that people ask us uh, very fre- frequently, you know, is should they eliminate all forms of, of starchy foods, you know, such as we we talked about earlier? And, and indeed, they don't need to eliminate; they just need to cut down and moderate uh, the amount of, of starchy foods and sweets that they eat. Um, People ask about eating, you know, special diabetic-labeled foods, and you know, there's no real medical evidence that eating food that's labeled as diabetic is, is any healthier or any better, as long as they moderate their diet otherwise. Because that so-called diabetic food, they've just moderated the sugar level. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. They're either either sugar substitutes. So you can do it yourself. Yep. Sugar substitutes may have their own, you know, health risks mm. uh, involved. But yeah, if you become engaged, you can just do that yourself. Absolutely. Um, we get questions about whether diabetics are, are susceptible to various infections, uh, flu, pneumonia, other infections. And th- the fact of the matter is that diabetes doesn't necessarily make you more prone to infections, but if you do get an infection, it may be a little harder for your body to overcome that infection, or that infection may um, transiently make your blood sugar harder to control. And so we always recommend a pneumonia vaccine and flu vaccine and those sort of things to protect our diabetic patients from becoming ill with those things. Well, what other health risks can develop from diabetes? Well, people who who smoke and have diabetes will, will just about quadruple their chance of getting the serious consequences of diabetes. So if you have diabetes, you should absolutely not smoke cigarettes. Um, if you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, mm. You know, they need to be maintained and, and treated to goal uh, as well because the, the more chronic conditions that you have and the more chronic conditions that are causing stress on your, on your eyes or your kidneys or your circulation, then the, the greater the risk is for the devastating complications. I want to ask you a favor. Could you give me an analogy so I can better understand what's happening inside the body regarding high blood pressure and diabetes and smoking and diabetes? Sure. So a, a simple way to think about it is if you, if you sort of think about the sugar bowl and the little crystals of sugar that are, that are in, the, in the sugar bowl, right. you consume that sugar, right. and, and uh, you know, those little crystals of sugar are floating around through your bloodstream, and, and they're I- irritating the, the linings of the blood vessels and scraping them and banging against your blood vessels. And then in addition, you have high blood pressure that's putting stress on those blood vessels just because the pressure is too high, and the blood vessels are, are, are elastic like a rubber band, and, and they just have to deal with higher and higher stretching and higher and higher pressure all the time. So over time, o- over years, 
the, the little microscopic damage that occurs every day adds up. And, and, and what's susceptible are the, the, the smallest, the tiny little blood vessels that, that are in the back of our eyes or the smaller blood vessels in our brain. Or if you think of, of the, the arteries to your legs as upside-down trees, you know, the larger tree trunks occur in the upper legs and the thighs. But as those blood vessels go down your legs, they branch and they keep branching and branching and become smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. So by the time they get into your, your, your feet and your toes, you've got tiny little thread-like blood vessels that are being damaged and irritated by these sugar molecules uh, all the time. So eventually that's going to take its toll and the blood vessels are going to form, form scar tissue or become damaged or become plugged with cholesterol blockages just because they're damaged. And they're going to tear? Pardon me? They're going to tear? Well, they, they don't necessarily tear, uh, but, but they may get plugged up. And, and, and that's probably worse than tearing because once these tiny little blood vessels in our feet and ankles are plugged up, they're too small to be able to fix. And so that's where the risk of amputation comes in. Once those blood vessels are plugged up and we don't get circulation to our feet, we, we develop sores and ulcers just because of the lack of, of oxygen and lack of circulation. And that just can't be fixed. And the answer is then that you have to remove the part up to the level where the blood flow is, is still available. Uh, and so that's, that's uh, you know, a terrible, terrible problem. But, but, but that's, you know, a, a simplistic thought about it. But that's, that's how the blood vessels get damaged. Same thing with our eyes. The back of our eyes are lined with tiny thread-like blood vessels, mm-hmm. and these sugar molecules can, can be damaging these blood vessels all the time to the point that actually in, in the back of the eye we, we do get tearing of the blood vessels, and we get hemorrhages on, on the retina, which is the screen in the back of the eye where, where vision is focused. And uh, so for that reason, we recommend annual eye examinations for diabetics. But, but eye doctors are very adept at, at determining you know, early on whether there is, is any damage beginning to occur uh, to our retina, to the back of our eyes. Um, similarly, our kidneys. So our ki- kidneys have millions of little tiny filters in them that filter the blood and excrete the poisons and the waste products from our system. And those filters, likewise, are, are tiny little thread-like blood vessels that can become damaged or, or blocked up. And, and as we start to lose the function of these filters, then our kidney function begins to decline. And, and we do simple blood tests to monitor how people's kidneys are working. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also do a test on the urine called a microalbumin test. If, if we're beginning to have damage to our kidneys, then we start to spill some protein called albumin into the urine. And we can detect that very easily, and that gives us a sign that, that one's kidneys are beginning to be damaged at a time that if we can maintain better control of their blood sugar, that their kidneys can be saved. What about smoking? Give me an analogy on that. What happens when you smoke, and how does that impact diabetes? Yeah, so smoking and all the poisons that we inhale when we smoke, nicotine and everything else that comes uh, into our bloodstreams, just magnify all the things that I just said. It increases the rate that our blood vessels are damaged. It increases the rate that our blood vessels get get blocked and clogged up by as much as four or five fold. So smoking is one of the absolutely the worst thing you can do if you have diabetes. Now, one of the things that I'd said earlier on was, you know, um, people don't really take care of themselves. And, and one of, I, I suppose, one of your challenges is where patients ref- refuse or prevent themselves from engaging in their own well-being. 
sometimes they do that, and you know sometimes it, it's our fault as physicians that we don't you know have the time or take the time mm-hmm. to educate our patients about these potential consequences and why it's important to take care of their blood sugar. You know, a high blood sugar doesn't make you sick. You know, people associate sickness with not feeling well, right? If, if you're sick, you've got a headache, you've got a sore throat, you vomit, you know, what have you. But with, with diabetes, uh, particularly in the early stages, uh, you know, you, you don't feel bad. You don't feel sick. You might have to go to the bathroom a little more often than not. You might be a little thirsty, but those aren't really adverse uh, effects. Mm. And so people, people don't get that negative uh, um, stimulation to do something about it. Um, you know, I, I, I've often contended that if, if I were an experimental pharmaceutical chemist, I would develop a medicine uh, that people could take that, that if their blood sugar rose above a, a certain level, that they became nauseated. And that way they, they, would, they would, would keep their blood sugar where it needed to be, sort of the, the, the clockwork orange effect, if you will, or, or there's a drug called antabuse that, that had been used in the past for people with uh, alcohol problems that would do just that. Um, you know, obviously, I, I say that uh, with tongue in cheek because that, that's not going to happen. But, but you know, that would get people's attention, mm. and that would get people to understand. Hey, my blood sugar is uh, you know higher than 150. I, I need to not eat. I need to do something to get my sugar down so I, so I'm not so nauseated, so I don't feel so bad. Um, is there, so, is there anything you know, else getting there. their attention? Uh, I, I, I get frustrated because you know even when we talk to folks about the potential devastating effects of diabetes, you know, human nature. Well, that's going to happen to them. That's not going to happen to me. That's going to happen to somebody else. You know, and and we know that it's going to happen to you know one in four. Uh, so you know, unfortunately, we can't in the early times pick out which which one's going to be that one in four. But we know that one one of four diabetics that sits in front of us is going to end up with some serious consequence. Is there anything I can do right now uh, by going to, to say, uh, one of these medical stores to go and check if I am pre-diabetic, something that will confirm if I just do a test by myself? Um, the, the best thing you could do would be to obtain a, a blood sugar meter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are available at most uh, pharmacies and, and chain stores. Um, and and check your blood sugar. And a, a normal fasting blood sugar should be less than 126. Mm-hmm. And a normal random blood sugar should be less than 200. And so if your sugar is higher than either of those numbers, then you, you probably should seek medical attention and, you know, get it tested a little bit more thoroughly and determine if you are pre-diabetic or if you actually have um, fully um, uh, developed diabetes. Um, as I said earlier, health fairs, you know, many communities have health fairs, and particularly as we're getting into the spring and summer seasons now. Um, so there's opportunities there if people don't have uh, access to a physician or access to a medical lab. Um, certainly go to a health fair that's offering blood sugar testing and, you know, just get it done. It, it, a little pick in the finger, it doesn't hurt, um, and, and it can really be life-saving if it, if it determines that you... See, the uh, only problem I have is going to my doctors is I'm... I'm I get there, and, and then he makes me wait 30 to 45 minutes. It's a boring room, old magazines, and it just takes such a long time. And you go in, and they check everything else, including what you're there for. Yeah. Well, uh, so my, my, my first reaction to that comment would be only 30 to 45 minutes? You're, you're, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're right. The doctors' waiting rooms are, are, are not the, uh, the, the healthiest places to be. Um, uh, you know, we in, in our practice, we really try to, to push on timeliness and time management with our physicians. We don't really want our, our, our folks waiting around a long time. Mm. In, in fact, we, we just built a, a new facility 
um, for, for my practice in northeastern Pennsylvania, and we intentionally built a relatively small waiting room because we wanted to give the message to our doctors. We don't want people sitting around waiting. You need to stay on time. Um, so, so, but you're right. You know, sitting around our waiting rooms is no fun. And you're right. Our magazines are ancient, if there are any left. Um, but uh, you know, to, to call your doctor and just ask for an order for a blood sugar test, you know, may not be ideal. If you're middle aged you, you probably should have an annual checkup anyway. Uh, but if you're concerned about your blood sugar level, to call and ask for a lab test is certainly not out of the question and something that, that's uh, it's not undoable. This is not going any anyway anywhere anytime soon. So it's going to impact our children in, in a bigger way than it's impacting us now, I guess. Yeah, another great point, another great question. So we have, uh, besides an epidemic of diabetes in, in our middle-aged population, we have, a, I think, a more significant epidemic of obesity in our childhood population. There are estimates that if you look at our, at our children and teenagers up to about 20 years of age, that about a third of them are, are characterized as being overweight and about 20% are characterized as being overtly obese. And that's by measurements of their, uh, their what we call the BMI. Um, the body is, mass uh, index. Body mass index, was right. a, which is a, a measurement of their, their height and their weight, uh, which sort of standardizes uh, the, the index. Um, so, you know, with, with a third of our kids uh, being overweight and being overweight as one of the most significant uh, risk factors for diabetes, I mean, you know, where are we headed in this next generation? We actually see teenagers in our practice now that have type 2 diabetes. And again, when I started my career 30 years ago, I mean, that was unheard of. If a teenager ever had diabetes, it was type 1. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. But nowadays, we're seeing kids coming in that, that have developed type 2 diabetes, primarily because they're sitting on the couch playing video games. They don't go outside and play basketball or play baseball or run around. Um, they, they eat poorly. They, they, they biggie size everything they get. Their only beverage is, is sweetened uh, sodas or juices. Even sports drinks, uh, you know, have has uh, sugar in it. So... You know, where are we going with, with this sort of stuff? You know, water is the best beverage for anybody. No calories. It's healthy. Our body fruit needs Fruit juices? It. I'm sorry? Fruit juice? Fruit juice. Well, fruit juice is loaded with sugar, too. Yeah. Fruit juice isn't as healthy as it may seem. Even if it's fresh, like freshly squeezed orange juice? Um, or is there well, such a thing? Fresh juices are, are, are better than processed juices. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, freshly squeezed orange juice does have some, some sugar in it. Um, so when, when people have low blood sugar attacks, you know, traditionally through the years, the first thing that we tell them to reach for is orange juice because orange juice will, will indeed raise their blood sugar levels. So, so you know, even what, what we think is out there is good for us and safe, you know, may not be as safe as we think. Now, I, I, I wouldn't tell people to avoid orange juice and other fresh juices. Certainly there are other nutritional benefits. But right. once again, moderation is the key. Can, can one... Because all this sounds so depressing. Um, can one afford to once a week go into a food binge? I guess it depends on what you mean by a food binge. Um, Have a you know, whole to, to, pizza, uh, two, three cans of soda, some candy, um, fried chicken, some fries, a burger. You know, one day a week. If, can I do that? I'd say maybe once or twice a month, but I, I oh, wouldn't do it as frequently as once a week. Um, you know, you can still enjoy things, uh, but, you know, uh, pizza every day, no. Uh, you know, soda. No, I just uh, thought, like, you know, on a Sunday. Day off, a, a, yeah. a, a diet holiday. But you're recommending that just to be once or twice a month? 
Yep, I wouldn't say uh, I wouldn't say it would be healthy to do it weekly. Wow. Yeah, I know, taking the fun out of it. I'm so happy. But again, it's no fun when you start to lose your parts. It's no fun when you have to sit for dialysis for four hours three times a week. You know, it's no fun when you can't drive anymore because you can't see. Huh? You're absolutely right. Um, intake of insulin. Um, is it still where you have to inject yourself? Um, yes. So th- there, there are, are many ways to treat diabetes with medications, mm-hmm. and you know, generally medications eventually will become necessary. We still start, for the most part, with oral medications, mm-hmm. with pills. There are a number of newer medications. But is it just market. a matter of time before you proceed to injecting yourself? Most often, yes, because diabetes is a progressive disease. Oh, so, it doesn't so stay at that is, level. Yeah, uh, eventually, e- even though when we start with diabetes, our pancreas may be producing excess amounts of insulin, mm-hmm. sooner or later the pancreas starts to produce lesser and lesser amounts of insulin. And so the, the oral medications, which, which primarily serve to try to push more insulin out of the pancreas, become less effective. And, you know, diabetes, like many other diseases, just gets worse as we get older or the longer that we have it. Mm-hmm. So eventually, um, sooner or later, most people will require insulin. But the, the good news about insulin, though, is that there are, are newer kinds of insulin that are much safer and, and do not cause a, as much uh, trouble in terms of low blood sugar attacks and things like that. The technology for injecting insulin you know, has certainly improved over, over time. We now use very tiny gauge needles that, that most people will barely feel more than a little tiny pinprick going in. Um, and, and we have insulins that last, uh, you know, in our systems 24 hours a day. So sometimes we, we can at least in, initiate with just one shot a day of insulin uh, and not have to, to, to do uh, uh, repeated injections throughout the day. What types of communities are most at risk from diabetes? Yeah, another great question. So from, from an from an ethnical standpoint, mm. Native Americans have the highest risk for diabetes, and, and almost 90% get diabetes. Um, otherwise, a- any other um, group, it, it, no one's immune from, uh, from diabetes, so it really affects a- any other uh, ethical class. Um, looking at it from a socioeconomic standpoint, mm. I think folks of lower socioeconomic means are yeah. probably at greater risk. And, and that's primarily because of the, the dietary habits mm-hmm. and perhaps a, a more sedentary lifestyle and being less active. Um, you know, if you have greater means, you know, you can afford healthier foods. Uh, you know, you can shop and have more fresh fruits and salads and that sort of thing. If you're struggling to make it um, and you have to feed your family and you have 10 bucks for a meal, you know, you're going to go to a fast food restaurant and, and biggie size everything that you can. Exactly. What about men or women? Who are um, I don't think there's any difference between men and women. Uh, men, men and women are equally susceptible. And again, it, it, it's, it's genetics, it's lifestyle, and it's diet. So. Now, we're coming to the end of the show. Um, okay. What would be your message to our listeners in terms of their approach so, to uh, diabetes? If yeah. So, so I, I guess the most important message that I could get out there 
you know, is, is pay attention to your weight. You know, try to keep your weight at, 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 at an ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're overweight, you know, get serious about losing weight. Anybody can lose weight just by consuming less food than they consume at the present time. And get active. Go for a walk a couple times a week. You know, half an hour is all it takes. Get moving a little bit. Don't smoke. If you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, pay attention to those two. And get your blood sugar uh, tested once in a while. And if your doctor tells you the blood sugar is high, then uh, pay attention and and open your eyes and ears and and understand what the future may hold for you. And how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, So the best way to find me is uh, our email address uh, at at Geisinger is is, uh, www.geisinger, G-E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R, dot O-R-G. Um, and uh, they can search me on the Geisinger website, and, and they can find me that way. Dr. Martin, thank you so much. Very enlightening, very informative. Thank you. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. In the words of Publilius Cyrus, good health and good sense are two of life's greatest blessings. Your comments and your followers so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until we meet again, have a very healthy and happy week ahead. 